Well, that song was actually a fitting introduction to where we're going here this morning as uh, we continue our study in the book of Daniel. Um, and I just thought of this as I was uh, uh, coming up here. I know we've kind of joked um, the last few weeks about um, the length of the service or the length of the sermon. And you, you probably have noticed we, we've read a lot of scripture. Um, and as I prepare to, to preach, as I prepare sermons um, to come up here on a Sunday morning and, and present it to you, um, there, there's, it's always in the back of my mind, you know, how long I think this is going to go. I kind of got it figured down to how many pages equals how much time and, and such. But one of the things that drives me is the belief um, that God's Word is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and therefore, I don't like to skip over Scripture. And so I know we're, we're covering seven chapters, really, in seven weeks, eight weeks. But that's a lot of Scripture to read. But I'd rather you hear the Scripture than you hear me give commentary on the Scripture. Um, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if, if you get nothing else out of uh, these messages, at least you have heard God's word and his word will never return null and void. So a little bit of a rationale for why I do what I do. But as I mentioned, that uh, song is kind of a good lead-in, uh, talking about death this morning. Um, not, not the most enjoyable topic to begin a, a worship service with, but have you ever wondered what might be the worst way to die? I, I have, I, I have, uh, this past week, or actually I think it was yesterday, now think about it, my wife was telling me about a girl uh, who died, um, I think it was in Australia, uh, she was swimming in a river, and it was a shark attack, and she died from that, but, but I was thinking, yeah, that's a bad way to go, um, my wife will not get in the ocean, um, I thought about freezing to death. Um, being hung or beheaded, drowning, electrocution, getting hit by a truck, or skydiving without a parachute. I mean, there are a lot of bad ways to go. Uh, uh, personally, I'd, I'd like to go in my sleep when that time comes, but I'm not in charge of that. What I do know, though, is one way or another, I believe God will give us the grace and the strength that we need to face death when that time comes. It's hard for us to see it now, but I believe that that is the case. And this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. And once again, we're going to see God's sovereignty and his power as he delivers three men from certain death in a fiery furnace. Another way to go. So despite the prospect of being burned alive, these three men were able to stand firm in their faith because they knew their God. They knew that he was able to deliver them, and rather than deny him, they defied the king. And as we look at this story, what we see is, is, is that 
what, what happened there and then is something that can happen here and now. Because of God's presence and his power in our lives, we too can stand firm in the faith and testify that our God is the one true and living God. So before we go any further, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are indeed the one true and living God. And that, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. We have been learning this and seeing this repeatedly in our study here in Daniel. And, Lord, we're going to see it again as you again work uh, for the good of your people and for your glory. And so, Lord, uh, we pray this morning as we open up your word that you would speak to us, that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us, and where we need to be convicted, Lord, that you would convict us, that we would bring our lives more in line uh, with your word and your will for our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, and I believe we'll have it up on screen too, so get my clicker ready to go. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we need to kind of go back a little bit to chapter 1. Um, if you remember, we were told there in chapter 1 that uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, took some of the vessels from the temple and some of the people of Israel back to the land of Shinar, which is the old Hebrew word for Babylon. And it was here that mankind had rebelled against God long ago in trying to build a city and a tower to the heavens. And as we learned last week, uh, God's kingdom has no rivals. So we quickly put an end to that building project. And the, 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 the name of the place or the name that was given to that place was Babel. And here, we, you know, we, we see that uh, God put an end to their, their construction project because he confused their languages. They could no longer communicate with each other, and since they couldn't communicate with each other, they couldn't get the work done. And by the way, uh, Babel means the gate of God. And so it was a project that was designed to, to, to shine uh, the spotlight on humanity, on what we are able to accomplish apart from God. And although they endeavored to build the city and the tower, it was never really finished. This is the very place where King Nebuchadnezzar is now erecting his image of gold. 
So that backdrop, I think, is very important. And if you are looking at your Bibles, you may want to underline the phrases, he set it up in verse 1 and had set up at the end of verse 2. And as I continue reading, I want you to note all the times that Daniel uses this phrase. And usually when things are repeated in Scripture, it's repeated for a reason. So hopefully we'll be able to see that. Now keep in mind, the, the Tower of Babel was built and erected for the glory of man. And I believe what we're seeing here is, is that Nebuchadnezzar erects this image of gold for his glory. He, he's putting himself on the throne, so to speak. Let's look at verse 3. It says, Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald pro proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So during this grand ceremony of dedication, the king tells his herald to issue a command. A command to the people that basically says, when you hear the music, you're to fall on your face and you're to worship the image of gold. And to ensure that everybody obeys, uh, there was a consequence to their disobedience. And that is namely that they would be burned alive in a fiery furnace. And not surprisingly, everyone complies. <laughs> I say it's not surprising because it's, it, it was either bow down and worship or stand up and die. Not much of a choice there. But as you look around, all the people, all the nations, all the people who spoke different languages, they all fell down. And, and I don't know about you, but I mean, that... You know, the fear of being burned alive in a fiery furnace, you know, that's, that's, that's good motivation for doing something, even if you don't want to do it. The fear of death is a good motivating factor. But even if that didn't motivate you to do it, it might, you might be motivated by just looking around and seeing everybody else doing it. I mean, after all, who wants to be a party pooper? You know, who, 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 who doesn't want to fit in? Besides, you know, if everybody else is doing it, it must be okay. There was a lot of pressure that was being applied. So the people bowed down and worshipped an image created by man as if it was God. That is the definition of idolatry. Worshipping 
something other than the one true God. And of course, today, most of us don't bow down to statues in our home or in our backyard. Um, but, but we have idols nonetheless. Only problem is we don't recognize them as idols. We don't see them as idols. They're, they're hard to spot. It's a lot easier to see idols in other cultures than it is to see it in our own. So I thought, I'm going to list a few for you. Um, th this could be a sermon series in itself, uh, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'm just going to throw these out there, let your imagination run wild. But here are some idols that we have. There's the idol of the human body. The idol of success, wealth, and power. There's the idol of security, position, and pleasure. There are the idols of independence, self-reliance, and control. There's the idol of sports. Your God may be a Bengal, or a Buckeye, or a Brownie. Brownie had brown. What? What? what are, I don't. I still don't know what a brown is. So. We can make idols out of celebrities, politicians, political parties. Our work can be an idol. We, we can bow down to giant screens in our homes or in our temples of entertainment. Of course, this one we really don't want to talk about, and that is the worship of children. See, children are, are a blessing from God. But when your life revolves around them, they become an idol. How we spend our time, how we spend our money teaches our kids what's most important to us. I don't know if we ever stop to really think about that. And oftentimes, God and his people get the short end of the stick because we're so busy catering to our kids taking them from one sporting event to another. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying we need to understand that they too can become an idol. And Jesus knew this. Jesus communicated this very strongly. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are just some of the things that we worship in our culture. And sadly, like I said, oftentimes we don't recognize them as idols. Now, earlier I said that everyone bowed down and worshiped this image of gold. Well, not exactly everyone. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. 
They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, if you remember at the end of chapter two, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So apparently this didn't sit well with the Chaldeans. So now they see an opportunity to get rid of them. And it's, it's like they come to the king and say, oh, oh king, um, you know, you, you, you wrote a law not too long ago, do you remember, that said this, and they outline it, and that if anybody doesn't do this, they're to be thrown into the fire. Well, um, there are some Jews, that's key, a little bit of racism going on there. There are some Jews uh, that you appointed that aren't paying attention to you. They're not listening to you. They're disobeying you. It's, it's, it's as if they were saying, if, if we were allowed to pick the people, this, we wouldn't be in this mess. You appointed them. You picked them. They're not even from around here. They're foreigners. You elevated them to a high position, and now they're disrespecting you. How do you think that sat with the king? <laughs> not very well, obviously. Look at verse 13. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The king is ticked off. It's as if he's saying, after all I've done for you, this is the way you pay me back? All right, I'm gonna give you one more chance, okay? Maestro, right? I'm gonna give you one more chance to bow down. When you hear the music, you better bow down. Now remember that last sentence in verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In other words, he's saying around here, the only God that's here is me. And nobody, no God is going to be able to deliver you from the fiery furnace should you disobey me. You ever wondered how you would have responded? Would you have bowed down? Would you at least have been tempted to bow down? It would be so easy, wouldn't it? I mean, when your life is on the line, it's easy to compromise. Here are a few rationalizations that we could make if we were them. Well, God is really using me here in Babylon. I've got a great ministry. Surely God wouldn't want me to throw all that away. Think of the people I could reach that I wouldn't be able to reach if I was dead. 
I wouldn't be where I am today if the king hadn't promoted me. I mean, I kind of owe him. Besides, I've, I've got a family to take care of. I'll bow my knees, but I won't worship. Well, it's not really a God, so I'm not really worshiping it. I can bow here in front of the king and no one else will see me. Besides, I'm not going to do it again. And the king didn't say I couldn't worship Yahweh too. How about this one? I'll just pretend the image is of my God. And if those don't work, how about I don't particularly like the idea of being burned alive. If you listened attentively to those rationalizations, you can almost hear ourselves saying them today, can't you? In so many different ways, in so many different areas. Well, let's see how these three men responded. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So I don't know if you guys did what I had uh, mentioned earlier, but if you counted the number of times Daniel says set up, had set up, have set up, in these first 18 verses, you probably would have counted out nine times. Nine times he mentions that. And he does so intentionally because he wants us to see how prideful and how uh, foolish the king truly was, especially in light of what's about to happen. But first, though, the king's pride takes a hit by the response of these three men. He goes into this wielding a great deal of power. He, they're brought into the king's presence in the palace and he does not expect them to say what they say to him, which in short is no. No, we're not gonna bow. We're not gonna bow down and worship the idol of gold that you have set up. And you have to ask yourself, why? In light of everything that was at stake, their lives, their families, their ministry, their, whatever you want, all of the rationalization, in light of all of that, it certainly would have been hard to face the prospect of disobeying the king and being thrown into a fiery furnace. But they did it. And you have to ask, why? And the only answer I can really come up with is, is, is that besides the fact that they, they love God and it's related, they took God's word seriously. They took his commands seriously. In Exodus chapter 20, one, one of the Ten Commandments here, he, this is what it says. It says, 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those thousands who love me and keep my commandments. God had already spoken on this. And, and rather trying to, you know, parse the words. What did God really mean? We didn't create the idol, so maybe that means we can bow down to the idol. They didn't do that. They simply took God at his word and said, we are going to obey our God, period. It's easy to justify disobedience. It's hard to obey sometimes. Especially when everyone around you is encouraging you to disobey or when your life is on the line. They chose to obey. They chose to defy the king rather than deny their God. They stood firm in their faith while everyone around them, including fellow Jews, bow down and worship the golden image. I mean, don't you just admire people like that? We're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be people like that. And we can be. If you belong to Christ and his spirit lives in you, then you have the power to stand firm in your faith and to declare to everyone around you, you will not bow down to their idols that there is only one God, one true and living God. That's the lesson that we get as we look at the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they weren't super saints. They were ordinary people. They were, they were Jews who were endeavoring to follow God to the best of their ability. And all God was requiring of them was to obey now, I want you to, to see three things in these verses that I think are very important. Uh, first, these men declare that God is able to deliver them from the fiery furnace. Okay? All right. We're not too impressed with that. God is able. God is able, but, but this is a powerful declaration of faith because the king had just said, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? They replied, our God, that's who. They, they were being defiant in a polite sort of way with the king. The king says, there isn't any God that can deliver you out of, our God can. King, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Our God can. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But notice what they don't say. They don't say God will deliver them from the fiery furnace. They simply say he is able to deliver them from it. But then they also add that God will deliver them out of the hands of the king. 
how can both statements be true? How, how can they say in one breath, God is able, they don't say that he will, but then they say, but God will deliver us out of your hand, O king. How can they be so sure of the latter and so uncertain of the former? Well, I think it's because they knew that God can deliver them any way he chooses. He could deliver them by changing the king's heart. He could deliver them by quenching the fire. They could be delivered because God takes out the king altogether. He could protect them in the fire. But he can also deliver them from the hands of the king by taking them home to be with him. We see this clearly in the, in, in the, in the very next thing that they say. And this is key, three words. But if not. But if not. If God doesn't deliver us from the fire, we're still not going to bow down. We will not serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you have set up. Now this statement clarifies the previous two. You see, in saying that, what, what they're saying is they don't pretend to know what God's will is in the situation. So many times, we like to think we know what God's will is in situations. Certainly in a situation like this, I would like to know that it's God's will that I live, that I survive the fire. They don't pretend to know what God's will is in this situation. They might very well die, but they said, even so, we're not going to bow down. No matter what God would choose to do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they would be delivered from the hand of the king. God would either save them from the fire or he will bring them home through the fire. In either case, he would be delivered. They would be delivered from the king's hand. Now these men knew something that many of us Christians today don't about faith. Faith is, is not wishful thinking. So many times what passes for faith is simply wishful thinking. Biblical faith is not a formula to get what we want. It's not believing really, really hard that what we want to see happen will happen. I mean, you, you, you see some Christians, you listen to them pray and everything, and they, they remind you of, a, of an athlete trying to psych them up before the game. And we're going to win this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to win it. We're going to win it. We're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to, yeah. That's, that's not faith. It's not trying so hard to convince yourself that God will do what you want him to do. Biblical faith is not confidence in, in our belief, it's confidence in our God. There's a huge difference. Unfortunately, many people today have more faith in faith than they do faith in God. If only I have enough faith, if I believe hard enough, if I believe long enough, if I don't give up, if I confess this positively. You know, the whole word of faith movement, that's what that's all about. 
Then when they name it and claim it and it doesn't happen the way that they want it to happen, at, at best they're confused and bewildered. They may pray believing that God will save their marriage or that he would heal them or someone that they love. Perhaps they prayed believing that God would ensure that their candidate gets elected. And then when these things don't happen, their faith is thrown for a tailspin. And many times they get angry at God. And, and many people walk away from God. God has let them down. God didn't do what I believed that he would do. What I felt he ought to do. I love what Brian Chappell says in his uh, commentary uh, on Daniel. It's actually a book called The, the Gospel According to Daniel. Interesting title. But he, he said this. Biblical faith is not confidence in particular outcomes. It is confidence in a sovereign God. We pray to him for what we think is right, but trust him to do what he knows is best. The most powerful testimony Christians have at times is not the fact that they live on easy street, but that their relationship with God sustains them even when their worlds collapse. See, that's the kind of faith that I want. I don't want a faith that crumbles because I don't get my way. If our faith is only as good as far as we can see, then it's not biblical faith. True faith is trusting God to always do what is right and what is best according to his timetable and not ours. And real faith always... Um, goes hand in hand with obedience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obeyed God despite the fact that they didn't know how their situation was going to turn out. Alistair Begg in his book, Brave by Faith, says that faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Rather, it is obeying in spite of the consequences. We are called to obey even when it won't work out well for us. We are called to obey even when it seems better not to, even if that means the fiery furnace. Again, what kind of faith do you want to have? Let's continue reading. Verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments... And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent, the furnace was overheated, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Again, the king was not expecting the response that he got 
from these three men. So he was enraged. To say he was angry was an understatement. He was incensed. He flew into a, a fit of rage. He had the furnace heated seven times hotter than it normally would be. Normally, a furnace um, like this that is designed to make bricks would be heated upwards to a temperature of 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I don't, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I know what happens when you get too close to a fire. You know, you stick your arm out there, you know, you pull it back and you realize one arm's still got hair and one doesn't, you know? Well, that's nothing compared to what happened here, right? This fire was so hot that the soldiers who threw the men into the furnace were themselves consumed by the flames. Now, that's hot. And then something happened. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now certainly seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around in the furnace amidst the flames, unscathed, unharmed, not even affected by the heat. That would have been enough to get the king's attention. But something even more remarkable caught his eye. There was a fourth person in the fire and his appearance was like the son of the gods. Now, this may have been an angel. It may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. The scripture doesn't tell us. But whoever it was, we know that he came to deliver these three men from the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he, did, he, he delivered them not out of the fire, but through the fire. I mean, they could have miraculously just appeared outside of the furnace. They could have appeared into the palace, but they didn't. They were there in the fire. And, and it's interesting that their bonds, they were freed from their bonds, so maybe the fire burned off those ropes and everything, but everything else, un, untouched. He came to deliver these men. And you know what? When you think about our lives, God doesn't promise us to deliver us out of or from the trials of life that we face, the fiery trials of life, but he does promise to walk through them with us. In one way or the other, he will deliver us. But most importantly, we need to understand that we have already been delivered from, from, from the hottest furnace you could have ever have faced. And that's the furnace of hell. It's the fires of hell. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross alone to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life so that we would not have to suffer the fiery furnace of hell. 
He took the penalty for our sin so that we could be free to have a relationship with God. He, at the cross, Jesus delivered us from the red-hot fury of God's wrath against sin. And if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you will never, ever experience the furnace of hell. Can I get a hallelujah to that? Amen. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, earlier I said that that last sentence in verse 15 was real important. Now we see why. See, earlier the king had said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And now he knows. It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he is forced to acknowledge that he is not as powerful as he thought he was. Their God has delivered them out of his hands. And then he confesses that there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That's, that's why Daniel pardon the pun, set up this chapter the way that he did, talking about the king setting up this idol. It, it, it's a contrast between the pride and the arrogance of this Babylonian king and the one true and living God who does, in fact, have all the power Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand firm in their faith because they knew their God. And they knew that he was able to deliver them. Their obedience had a ripple effect that has lasted till this day. As we look at their lives. And in the end, they were delivered. They were promoted and God received all the glory. 
And because of God's presence and power in our lives, we too can stand firm in the faith. We too can refuse to bow down to the idols that are around us and declare that, that our God is the one true and living God. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Have you bowed your knees to King Jesus? Have you confessed him publicly as your Lord and Savior? You know, Scripture tells us that if we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. I have known people who have been in church their entire lives, um, who have sung the songs, prayed the prayers, and everything else, and yet they do not know Jesus. They did not ever enter into a saving relationship with him. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe those of you that are watching online Scripture says today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed a tomorrow. So my encouragement to you would be is to pray today. Ask Christ to come into your life to save you from your sins. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And for those of you who do know Christ, who have been redeemed by his precious blood, I want you to be encouraged. God is with you. More than that, God is in you. If Christ is in you, you have Holy Spirit power and he will never leave you and never forsake you no matter what trials you face, no matter what fiery furnaces you may have to go through, he is with you. And so for this reason, I wanna charge you, one, don't compromise your faith and bow down to false gods. Two, Obey the Lord. Obey his word. Stand firm in your faith. God will use your obedience to bring glory to himself. Third, trust in his goodness and his power. And again, know that no matter what fires you may face, one way or the other, God will deliver. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word, for your servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and your great faithfulness. Lord God, um, we may never have to face a situation like they did, but in our world, in our culture, in this day, Lord, we, we do sense that things are gonna get progressively harder for us to live um, the life that you have desired for us to live uh, without repercussions. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us stand firm, that we would take you at your word, that we would choose to obey, and that we would trust you with all of our hearts. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.